For decades, it was a tradition built in rock. Wow. It's the celebration what up, what up, what up? of humanity. Oh my God, it's amazing. The best. It sets you free, and when you dance to it, Uh, you know, it got to the point where people wanted real music from real people and real songs from real people. Real people. But somewhere along the way, it became just another casualty of financial restraint. And let's be honest, let's be honest. apathy. Now, now, let's do it. The Mojo Radio Show is bringing it back. Welcome to Rocktober 2019. A 31-day celebration of all things Mojo. From the boardroom to the bedroom. This is Ryan Fox. This is Cal Newport. This is Tate Blood. Hi, this is Ivor Davies from iFound. And it's Rocktober on the Mojo Radio Show. Plus, all the trimmings you'd expect from the rockingest month on the calendar. Stand by. Rocktober continues now. Hey, everybody, and welcome to week four on Rocktober 2019. By far our biggest month of the year. This this used to be a huge month for rock stations worldwide, but due to corporate apathy, let's call it that, and basically a sheer lack of imagination. Uh, it died. Until four seasons ago, we brought it back. It is Rocktober on the Mojo Radio Show. Great guests, great music, some acoustic sets, uh, some swag, movie mojo, films to get your mojo working, or in fact, this week, it's a director to get your mojo working, and this guy does. Uh, it's all a bit of fun, gold takeaways, and a dose of rock and roll, and I have got some more for you this week, but uh, is everybody in the house ready to rock? October and roll. Indeed. And you know what else? Besides being Rocktober, I've got another exciting milestone for us this week. Which is? Did you know this is episode number 250 for the Mojo Radio Show? I reckon that's a bit of a big milestone. I reckon <laughs> pats on the back to both you and me because that's there's not a lot out there that have that many shows on, I'll be honest. It's funny, something you and I had talked about a couple of months ago, which... I think we spoke to Jordan Harbinger about, if I remember correctly... Uh, when we caught up with him, that 18, only 18% of all podcasts have put a show out in the last three months and something like, was it only like 20%? What was the other stat? What was the other one now? There are over 730,000 podcasts out there in the universe at the moment. In the last 12 months, only 20% of those to April this year had put out a, an episode and in the last three months before April it was something down like around 11 or 12 or something yeah something crazy like that had put out an episode so to be in our sixth season never having missed a week I don't think to put out 250 uh, is no mean feat and I gotta say it's I mean we love doing it we don't have any 
advertising or sponsors or anything like that, apart from our supporters who we love on Patreon, make it all just make it all tick. But we get a lot from the show. But if nobody's listening, uh, who cares? Yeah, hello. <laughs> Go ahead, make my day. The Mojo Radio Show. All right, pop quiz, hot shot. It's a cracker. The Mojo Radio Show. Pop quiz, hot shot. Ooh, a Rocktober pop quiz. Let's go. Name me three songs that use a cowbell. <laughs> wow. Uh, isn't that just a crack? Isn't that just a cracking? Cracking pop quiz hot shot. Do you know what? I should remember this because we did a sketch once at Triple M about songs that use cowbells. I'm just trying to. <laughs> okay, so you know one of them, Blue Oyster Cult, one of my favourite songs of all time, yep. which is why this segment exists. Don't fear the Reaper. Go. Uh, okay, so then another two. Um, I'm thinking Honky Tonk Woman, Rolling Stones. Oh. <laughs> That is the number one song on the ultimate classic rock.com website under Cowbell Songs, Honky Tonk Woman, number one. Oh, really? And the other one that comes to mind is Led Zeppelin. Um, What's the name of the song? Um, Good Times, Bad Times, Led Zeppelin has Cowbell in it. Uh, Negative. Oh, really? No. I'm sure it does. There's a Led Zeppelin song called Moby Dick. Would that be that one? Yeah. Um, yeah, well, Moby Dick does. I'm sh- anyway, there you go. Led Zeppelin. I'm half right. <laughs> yeah, you get half right. Yeah. So the others that I thought were worth noting, which once you listen to it, you go, oh, of course, is War, who did Lowrider. Ah, yeah. Okay. Laura, can you yep. just play us a little bit of that just to give us a flavour? I'm on it. Classic, which I thought you might have got, was CCR, Born on the Bayou. Born on the Bayou. Born on the Bayou. Born on the Bayou. You know, there's actually a classic old Saturday Night Live sketch about this that was actually done on Blue Oyster Cult, um, your favourite song, as you just mentioned. Lola, can you play that? It doesn't work for me. I gotta have more cowbell. <laughs> Don't blow this forest, Gene! Could be so selfish, Gene. Can I just say one thing? Yeah, baby, just say it. I'm standing here staring at rock legend Bruce Dickinson. The cock and a walk, baby. And if Bruce Dickinson wants more cowbell, we should probably give him more cowbell. Say, baby. And Bobby, you are right, I am being selfish. But the last time I checked, we don't have a whole lot of songs that feature the cowbell. I gotta have more cowbell, baby. <laughs> and I'd be doing myself a disservice and every member of this band if I didn't perform the hell out of this. Guess what? I got a fever. And the only prescription is more cowbell. <laughs> All due respect, sir, you're beginning to bore the hell out of me. Rock 
October on the Mojo Radio Show. So our movie mojo for this week is not so much a movie, but it's a movie star and a killer director in Squint Eastwood. He's 88 years old, and I saw his latest movie in the weekend called Trouble with the Curve, which is excellent. It's on Netflix. But imagine pumping out great, great work at 88 years old. Oh, absolutely. And, well, physic, being physically fit enough to, because making a movie ain't no, you know, walk in the park, that's for sure. Now, Morgan Freeman is the top of his game, and he rates him as the best director in Hollywood. Thank you, Lord. He's no nonsense. He's very quick. And he's got a lot of talent. Lot, lot, lot of talent. He shoots in 30 days, where most movies can go 12 odd months. And as Morgan Freeman just said, no nonsense, very quick, but super talented. Mastery of self and mastery of craft. And Tom Hanks said that when he's on set, Here's how he approaches his actors. He treats his actors like uh, horses. Um, uh, uh, because because uh, when he was doing, there's a great show, Rawhide. I don't know if you're old enough to remember Rawhide. He played yeah, Rowdy yeah. H, a Western. Um, and uh, he had all these old uh, directors there for, who directed movies that made a big deal about yelling action. You know, we're rolling. All right, stand by. This is a take. Everybody ready? Out of three, two, one. And every time they would do that, the horses they were on would bolt, you know. Action! And they'd have to, like, get it. And so when you're in a Clint Eastwood movie, you don't even know the camera's rolling. And you just hear over your shoulder, all right, go ahead. Sometimes you're doing some pretty hot stuff and you just keep doing it until you hear him say, that's enough of that. <laughs> and, that's, and then you move on and you're on to the next setup. It's intimidating as hell. Because yeah, that could Wait, go either way. Every time, that's enough of that? Yeah, yeah. Every, every time? Yeah. Instead yeah. of cut, it's he that's enough say, of that. No, he'll, he'll say stop if, he, if you, it means you're going to do it again. But other than other is most like, all right, that's enough of that. Wow. <laughs> hey, thanks for the vote of confidence. Yeah. <laughs> And it's funny, when you watch his movies, I just find them calming. I just, I mean, as much as he's an awesome actor and his movies are wonderful, everything's just calm, but it's just everything has its time, its place. I, I honestly, I think he, his, he, Michael Gervais talks about mastery of self, mastery of craft. Man, he's the guy. He's the man. Hi there, I'm Andrea Burke from the Canadian National Women's Rugby Team. I love the Mojo Radio Show and happy Rocktober, everybody. Our guest this week is kind of a rock and roll memory grand champion. His name is Nelson Dallas. He's a four-time USA memory champion. He's one of the leading memory experts in the whole world. As a memory champion, he is also a mountaineer. And he's also an activist, a disease activist for Alzheimer's, which goes back to his growing up where he lost his grandmother and he saw the way she went through Alzheimer's and decided he would do something about it. And so what he talks about now is kind of a lifestyle that combines fitness, mental, which you're going to hear about with memory, and physical with his climbing and so on, and how diet and all this stuff all fits in together. And Curiously, Nelson said he was born 
with just an average memory. And after his grandmother passed, he started training his memory because he never wanted to see that happen to him. And he wanted to have a strong mind and be healthy in his mind right through his whole life. So in a short period of time, he really has become a leading competitive memorizer in the world, and he has earned the title of Grand Master of Memory. So, Nelson, this is a real honor, mate. Welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. Hey, thanks for having me. From the get-go, it's interesting that you refer to memory as a sport. Why yep. Why is it considered – because many people wouldn't expect it to be a sport. Why, do, why is it considered a sport? Yeah, that's a great question, um, and it probably could be debated, but um, – I feel like it is uh, for a number of reasons. One, um, it brings out this competitive side in me and a lot of memory athletes. Um, you know, there are records and, um, you know, strategies to perform better at these kind of competitions. Um, on top of that, you know, when you're actually competing, believe it or not, when you're sitting there staring at something, memorizing, uh, you sweat and you, your heart rate elevates and, um, it feels like you're in the middle of some kind of mental sport. I don't know how else to describe it. Do you know what's interesting with what you just said, Nelson, is you, you, you made a comment that there weren't many things you stuck with, that you, you tried a lot of things, but then you stopped doing them. But for whatever reason, memory is something that you started and you liked and you continued on. What what was it about memory that made you want to stick with it? Yeah, you know, I've, I've, I I love the fact that I've always experimented and tried new things over the years. I think that's actually helped me find the thing that's made me most passionate, um, and that's memory. And I think the biggest part for me, as selfish as this sounds, is that it made me feel superhuman. Um, and I liked that taste of it, you know? And the nice thing about it is, you know, I'm sure people get that kind of feeling from, I don't know, taking a drug or jumping out of airplanes, whatever, but this was harmless, right? In fact, (laughs) it was making my life better, right? So how, why would I not be obsessed with this, right? I can sit down and memorize a whole deck of cards in just a, a number of seconds. How insane is that? That's, a cool thing to be able to do. And then it's useful on top of that. And it's, it's good for your brain, right? Even before we started recording in the studio, I said to Robbo, hey, we got Nelson coming on, grandmaster of memory, American champion. The first thing Robbo said was, yeah, I don't have a very good memory. And then we, I talked about what you do and how you do it. And he said, oh, yeah, but I've got a, I've got a shocking memory. Why, why does memory, as a, let's call it a sport or a thing, why does it yeah. carry such a negative vibe? Why does it sound hard? Yeah, but, well, because unfortunately nobody's ever told you or most people how to use it properly. Um, so you've gone through life uh, struggling, right? It's like as if, you know, this is maybe a, probably a bad example, but let's say nobody ever really taught you how to walk, right? Um, and And all you've been doing for the last 30, 40 years, I don't know how old you are, is like, crawl and everything's difficult, right? Of course, you're going to hate like going from point A to B because it's so hard to get there. But if somebody had just shown you, oh, you got to stand up, put your legs one after the other, you'd be like, oh, shit, I'm going to go everywhere, right? And and that's the easiest part of my life, right? Um, So memory is kind of like that. It's like we always struggle with it because we're doing it in a way that's super inefficient, 
repetition, that kind of thing. It, and it's always this kind of like anxiety inducing thing. It's tedious, it's boring. But imagine if someone had shown you from day one, you know, of your schooling years, how to do this. Um, I don't think people would feel that way about their memories. So we're going to do that now. Before we do that, what I want to set up is almost the psycho- psychology behind our memory. What I want to know is, what's the what's the important thing we should remember about memory? Yep. Um, so the, the one thing, if you're going to remember it, uh, about it, is that we all have the capacity to have an amazing memory. No matter how bad you think your memory is or how often you say, you know, I have a, a crap memory, um, we all can do what I can do, uh, believe it or not. So I'm going to do a little exercise with you. So just to demonstrate, because I think if we demonstrate it first, mm-hmm. then we'll talk about what you did to do what you're about to do, if that makes sense. So sure. I'm going to read out to you 30 thinking? random numbers with a okay. one-second break in between each number. Are okay. you happy okay. if I do that, give you time to set then you will repeat the numbers back to me in order and then I'll have them give, yeah. have you give them back to me in reverse. Are we good to go? Yeah, yeah. I do that a lot. So, what, yeah. Just randomly? You just do that a lot? <laughs> yeah. Well, for, for like uh, as a gimmick at one of my speeches or when I'm out with friends or in an interview, I often do that, something like that. All right, you good to go? All right. Seven, four, three, nine. Zero, three, eight, nine, two, four, seven, one, five, six, zero, three, five, two, seven, eight, three, six, three, four. Six, eight, nine, two, five, seven. How'd okay, you go? Give me one second to consolidate that. Okay. Uh, let's see. Starting from the top, um, uh, seven, four. Three nine zero three eight nine two four seven one um uh, five six zero three five two seven eight three six three four six eight nine two five seven. That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Robo, Robo couldn't remember them back and he was writing it down. <laughs> I've got it written down and I'm going, shit, where is he? <laughs> All right, now backwards. Yeah, yeah. Backwards. Oh. Okay, so in, in reverse, now that I have it, it's, this part's not that bad. I just got to flip the numbers in my mind. Um, <laughs> seven, bad. five, two, nine, eight, six, four, three, six, three, um, um, eight, seven, two, five, three, zero, six, five, one, seven, four, two, nine, eight, three, zero, nine, three, Four, seven. Round of applause to the gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sir. That is absolutely crazy. correct both ways. Now, I wanted just to 
demonstrate that because that is terrific. The question is, what process do you go through in your mind? So when I read those numbers out, what were you? What could you see, feel, yeah. or hear to do that? Yeah, yeah. And and just before I do that, uh, imagine at, at competitions they do an event similar to that, where there's a um, kind of a computerized voice that will pr- uh, announce these numbers one per second, um, and there's three kind of attempts, and they're different lengths. The first one is 150 digits in a row. Uh, then the second one is, I believe, is 300, and then the next one is 450. And um, you know, my best is 200 of those in a row. Believe it or not. So we just did 32, 30. right? Or so 30, 30, whatever. 30's not even a warm up. <laughs> yeah, I was pretty confident he'd get it right. It's just on air. You know, it's it's always a bit nerve wracking, but. Um, uh, I never know how fast the, the person's going to say the numbers. Um, so with, with 200, it's a little more controlled. Wow. But, all right. So, okay, let's, uh, let's go back to what I was picturing. So for numbers, example, uh, for example, they are very hard to uh, discern from one another, right? I mean, after a while, maybe one or two numbers, it's easy because they're all different numbers. But if you're having all these digits repeat, um, you know, you have a bunch of sevens, a bunch of sixes, ones, twos, threes, you know, and you got to remember the order of them all. That's difficult. They all start to kind of blend together. So what I do is each pair of digits I give um, a set meaning to. So every time I see the number 74, 74, that was the first two digits, I actually see a picture associated with that every time, the same one. And um, whenever I see 74, that's part of the imagery that I see. And 74 happens to be uh, the French actor Gérard Depardieu, if you're familiar. Um, and then 39, which were the next two digits, I imagine some kind of um, action or verb uh, associated with that two-digit number. So, and then I combine them. So it was Gérard Depardieu um, doing like a roundhouse kick. Um, and then the next four digits. So every four, I make an image like that. It's a person with an action. And so the next four was zero three, eight, nine, which is Jack Black, the actor, um, serving at a bar. You know, he's got like a, he's got a tray with beers on it. And then next was Kobe Bryant. He's giving birth to a baby. Uh, 56.03 was Edward Scissorhands. He was, uh, wrestling somebody and so on. So you have all these crazy images and, um, I kind of connect them in this long story, um, where one image kind of leads to the next. Is it correct to say you built the system, then you embed the system so that you can call upon your system to remember whatever it is that you are having to remember. Yeah, that's precisely it. Yeah. I had to sit down one day and, and come up with these pictures for the numbers, learned it, you know, based on some criteria, there's a way to come up with where I get these images. It's not just random, like 74 is Gerard Depardieu. Uh, there is a reason why it, it actually translates into some letters and the letters represent a word or initials. And that's how I got the name. Um, so there's a method to that, but I've learned that. And so now when I see those numbers, it's ingrained, it's embedded and now I, and then I can just use it. What number is Pedro? <laughs> uh, Pedro who? Pedro, your father-in-law? Oh, that one. Okay, yeah. I didn't, I, how did you know that? Oh, because of my book, I guess? <laughs> 
Dosecki remembered it. Is he's four hundred and nineteen? Correct. Give that man a Dosecki. That's not bad. Yeah. I tell you what, that's not bad. <laughs> well, because that, that, then you're you're reaching into like more of my deeper, more complicated strategies. I actually have a more complex number system for every three digits. I have a picture, um, but I use that for memorizing numbers when I read them on paper. Um, just because it's a little easier to um, store more information in a larger number. I was making coffee this morning, thinking about what I wanted to remember to ask you, and something randomly came to mind, which I've never <laughs> really thought about or heard you talk about. But you, you, in order to do this and to change our frame of reference, the psychology of it into actually, I, I could do this if I put my mind to it. Yeah. There must be an element of risk we have to associate because you are a very successful mountain climber and mountain climbers take a lot of risk. But then to trust yourself to remember a shopping list, three people's names at a dinner party, a presentation, whatever it may be, to commit something to build a system for you being on stage, even in a competition, you have to, it sounds like you almost have to understand the fear of not remembering something and be prepared to take a risk. Is that part of the psychology behind this? Do you got to be able to risk putting something in your memory and not write it down onto your shopping list, so to speak? Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's a great point. Um, and when I started out in this world of memory, you know, it's a hard thing to fight. Um, the, the need to write something down or to have it handy on a piece of paper by your side or on a phone that you can check. Um, when it gets removed, that is scary. Um, so that's where all this practice comes in, um, where you basically starve that, uh, need for it, which has been ingrained in us from relying on things like that for our whole on our, in our whole lives. So, um, when I practice that, I get used to it. I get faster at it. I don't need it as much because I've trained my brain to rely on its own memory. And then that risk, I don't even see it as a risk anymore um, because I'm so confident in uh, the systems that I have and, and my training that, uh, you know, that fear and risk thinking goes away. That's not to say I don't forget because, of course, I forget and, of course, I don't want to forget and I I'm afraid of that happening, but, uh, it's even when I, this is funny when I do forget, um, like if I did forget one of those pairs of numbers, I would have said, let's not worry. I'm going to skip it and come back to it. Um, and the system that I have allows me to do that. And then all I have to do is I feel confident that I can go through all 100 of my numbers quickly in my head, um, and see if any of them pop up at me as, Oh, that's the one I missed. And 99 times out of 100, it will. So I have some fail-safe ways of getting stuff even when I've, quote-unquote, forgotten it. So you can imagine that, to me, there's very, very, very little risk. And if there is any risk that actually comes and rears its head, uh, I, can, I can deal with it in certain ways to, to overcome it. There's an interesting thing that I just wanted your take on because you don't hear memory grand masters, grand champions – being asked about how you forget something, how you want to forget something. And my, the reason for my asking is 2018, you'd lost, you, you were going for once again a US memory championship. 
you'd won four, you were going for five and you'd lost. And you yep. walked on stage, had this moment, two strikes, you're out, and you did a video on that. And what I'm interested in knowing is it, there must be some things that you actually want to put out of your mind and in a way not remember. So, Oh, yeah. That's, tra- a, that's one of them. <laughs> yeah, so we're training your mind to remember everything and being really good at it. You could really, in fact, remember that moment <laughs> where you got your second strike and you were out early on in that part of the competition. How do you go about getting rid of that default as in, gee, last time I was here, I flunked out? Yeah. Um, where, how, what's so, your psychology? Yeah, well, the way you, you forget something is you stop uh, you don't review it or you don't think about it or you don't ruminate on it. Um, so as much as I wanted to sit there and kind of think of the millions of reasons why I messed up and how I could have avoided that, um, honestly, the best way to move forward is to start you know, prepping for the next thing and just forget about it. Obviously, I want to learn my lesson and I did, but you can imagine if I thought about it over and over again, it would be I would remember all the details of what happened, including the feeling that I had. And I think that feeling would only drive um, up that risk you were talking about just a moment ago. And I'd start questioning myself. Right. So, um, you know, I made that video that you mentioned talking about it. And that was almost a kind of a cathartic release of just putting out what happened out there. And then, you know, I don't really think about it anymore um, for that reason. Um, And in fact, sometimes when it does creep in my mind, which it naturally will do, um, I try to imagine it differently um, by giving it twists and turns that are more positive, Um, you know, because if I remember it or review it a certain way, more and more and more that way, I'm going to remember it like that. So, um, you know, this is a stupid example, but I once had an ex-girlfriend and I wanted to forget (laughs) her number because... You know, I removed her from my phone, but I still remember the number. Um, so I'd be tempted to like text her or whatever. But I had this th- idea that I'm going to try to remember it slightly incorrect. And every time I think of it, um, you know, it was swapping like three numbers in a different order. And I can tell you right now, I don't remember the correct version of the number. I remember most of it, but I I can confidently say I misremember the number and uh I could probably guess it, right, if I did all the combos, but um, it went out of my mind because I I reviewed remembering it wrong. So if you did that, if you did that, would you have Gerard Depardieu, Jack Black, or Kobe Bryant doing something different to mess up that number? Is that what you would do? So this number, no. Well, I would. I think the easier way, since it's it's something I just learned moments ago, so it's not quite embedded strongly um i just wouldn't review it i would you know because i the way i have it in my mind it's it's stored somewhere specific so if i go there and walk through and see all these images i'm essentially reviewing it again so um i'm just not going there and it'll eventually um fade away and pretty quickly, I, I, you know, I've, I've learned how to do that pretty quickly. So if I was to consider doing this for a shopping list and say I'm going to the supermarket and there are 10 items I want to get and I gave a personality to the number one 
personality. So Gerard Depardieu is one, Jack Black is two, Kevin Bryan is three. Would I then go, my shopping list is I need butter and Gerard Depardieu, being a Frenchman, is going to buy some butter for his croissants. Uh, item two I need is some um, turmeric for Jack Black because he's going to make a margarita, blah, blah, blah. Is that, that is that the sort of system that someone would use to associate a number with an item? So then you walk through the supermarket going, what does Gerard want? What does Jack want? What does Kobe want? Um, I wouldn't recommend it quite like that because then you have to remember who are the people, right? Um, what's even better so the, the the reason I use Gerard Depardieu and Kobe Bryant and all them is because these are images that can replace all those numbers. There's a lot of them, right? So it helps me convert numbers into pictures that are easy to see. But if I have something simple like a list of, of grocery items, what I can do instead is um, just come up with a simple picture for you know the numbers 0 through 9 or 10. Um, like zero can be a ball cause it looks like a round ball. One could be, um, like a pencil or some type of stick shaped object cause it looks like a one. And then what I would do is whatever my list is, I would attach a crazy funny picture of that thing to a, a ball or to a stick or to, um, whatever I have for number, for number two. And that way I can attach, um, what I need to memorize to this number list, you know? Nelson, you you said a couple of times what you can see, and then just now you said what I can see. So given the fact that half of the world, half of our audience, half of us in the studio are visual learners, the other half are not. So the other half are some a small percentage are auditory learners who need to hear it. Others are what they call kinesthetic yeah. or tactile people who need to feel it. With the system you use in your mind, to date this has been very visual, does the same thing apply for somebody who is a feeling person who doesn't particularly process in pictures or an auditory person who hears in tone and sound? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that, that's a great point to bring up because um, you're undoubtedly going to have some listeners saying, well, I'm not a visual learner, right? Um like you said, maybe an auditory learner or more feeling based. Um, but here's the thing. When I say I picture or see, I'm not just talking about, you know, visual with my eyes, right. Or my mind's eye. Really what I, I mean by that is all of the senses together, right. Um, that's auditory. When I, I, I'm seeing a picture like Gerard Depardieu, it's not just him, you know, um, dressed like, I forget who he was in the the movie, but he was a, a musketeer in an old movie of his. But uh, it's not like he's looking like a musketeer. It's uh, I can hear his stupid French accent. I can see his big nose and imagine you know it pointing in my face if I was up near him. Um, he's kind of a heavy guy, so I imagine maybe he's sweaty and smelly. You know, um, the way he makes me feel. Like I've, I've I grew up watching some of his French movies. Um, and some of them are classics, like me and my sister, we have jokes about him, you know, like, so all that feeling comes out too, you know? Um, and I think we all can do that. I know that some people need to have, uh, things audio need, some people need to have things feeling, but I think all of us can kind of build out an image based on a lot of different things, not just one thing. One thing may take over, like maybe if you're more auditory, maybe sound becomes the main driving a source of that image, but um, I think we all can add components that are 
you know, actually visual, uh, auditory, sensory, emotional, um, kinesthetic. Um, and that's what I mean when I say to, to see pictures. Um, they really come to life, and that's what makes things stick so well is when, when you think like that. I think the easiest way for us to sell this to Robbo Nelson is a quote you have that you said, it's not enough to say pizza. You need to involve the senses. That's, that's correct, isn't it? You, right. Maybe you should elaborate to get the big man on side. Pizza and beer, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like, well, tell me that. Like if I said, remember pizza and beer, right? What are you going to think of? What I think about Friday night. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Your Friday night. And what's going to happen? I don't know if you're married or not, but maybe you're going out. You're meeting some ladies. If you're not, you're with your guys. You're having a good time. The feeling with that is really what comes to mind when I say pizza and beers and what, how good it's going to taste, like what your favorite toppings are and the grease dripping down from the slices when you eat them, the cool, refreshing taste <laughs> of that beer when it, you know, it's just open and going down your throat. A little bit like, of chili sprinkled over the top. Yeah, I'm with you. Boom, yeah. There you go. <laughs> now, now you're there. It's, 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 it's a memory, right? Uh, well, or a future memory, right? But it's in, in your mind as this picture that can't be broken almost. The one thing that people, I think, if you go back to the very start of the show, when I said to Robbo, you were coming on, he said, I'm, I'm, I've got a really bad memory. I can't remember things. So we've talked about that. There's a psychology behind it. The, the Probably the one issue that I suspect most of us struggle with is walking into a room to a dinner party or a hotel and there are five people there we get introduced to. We go, hello, 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 I'm Robbo, I'm Robbo, and we go around. And then within, within seconds, those names are completely gone out of our head. Yeah, even faster than a second they're gone, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You moved on to the next person, it's already gone. What's your process? So let's set this up. You walk into a room, there are five people in the room, you don't know them. They introduce themselves to you. What's Nelson's process for being able to recall all five names by all five people by name? Yeah. So first, uh, I'm going to choose a feature on each person, something in their on their face usually, because that's where I'm looking. Um, whether it's uh, uh, a mole or you know an eyebrow hair, I don't know, something that pops out to me that I notice, right? Because chances are, next time I see the person, I'm going to notice the same thing. Um, and then as they say their name, I'm going to turn the name into a picture. So something that the name reminds me of or sounds like, you know, and then I elaborate on that picture, like we just described with the pizza. And I, I have that image interact with the feature of the person, right? So I've now attached this crazy imagery for the name to the person's face. And next time I look at them in the face, I can't help but see that bizarre image. Now, Five people, like if, if they were rapid fire at me, that's tough, right? But that's where practice and kind of experience in doing this on the fly comes in. You know, um, what I would do if I was a beginner at this and, you know, you're thrust into this situation where there's five people, you're just bombarded with their names, is do your best. And then as soon as you can, after that, I would individually uh, maybe request to hear the name again. Uh, People forget that it's actually not that embarrassing to ask for a person's name, provided that it's pretty close to when you first heard it, right? You don't want to ask 
your boss what his name is after you've been working with him for you know a few weeks that's embarrassing right <laughs> um but I, th- I think everybody understands that listen you know sometimes names are said really quickly sometimes names are really difficult or hard to understand or sometimes somebody doesn't say their name clearly like what do we we all think that we're you know memorizing machines no like we got to process the name to, uh, to memorize it. So I think it should be okay and acceptable to ask for uh, a repeat of the person's name or even tell them like, Hey, I really want to remember your guys's names. Can you say them again once more? I'm, I'm really trying to, you know, get better at remembering names. Who's going to laugh at that, right? I mean, that's, if anything, going to set you apart. And I think the fact of just putting that out there will even make you more attentive and uh, able to memorize the names because you've suddenly um, shown some light on that. There's one other good thing to remember when you're thinking about people's names is the word mate. It's always handy. <laughs> Today, mate. <laughs> uh, your name's mate, mate, mate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mate, how are you? Mate, good to see you. Mate, I haven't seen you for ages. <laughs> There's actually one thing you said that I thought was absolute gold, Nelson, that goes to the psychology before you even walk in the room or just as you walk in. And it's just how you frame mm. the importance of what you're doing. You said, you say to yourself, I need to know this person's name. And I thought, most of us don't. We walk in and it is, it's easy to say, mate, and you just flippantly, and you're not actually setting yourself up to remember it all. And then you walk away going, my memory's not very good. I don't remember because you never made the effort. Right. I just, I just like the way you frame that is that if you walked in going, I need to know this person's name. That, that psychology of that just seems to sit so well with not just the competition but just everyday life is I am going to commit this to memory for my shopping list or my presentation. Is that part of the biggest balance, the biggest battle for us is setting up the psychology of making it important? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, I think memory is such a mental – well, yeah, that's a mental thing. But um, it's, it's largely based on your confidence in your own memory. So – if you can kind of hack that by, even if it's a fake false belief that your memory is good, um, then you're going to have to do better and you will. Um, so I always tell people that it's like, if you just give yourself the goal of, okay, I'm going to remember 10 people's names at this event or in this meeting, um, suddenly that being, being aware of that, you're going to do better. Is committing something to long-term memory different to committing something to short-term memory? Um, to me, there's not much difference. Um, with the techniques that I use, it's quick to get information in your brain for the short term. Um, but the difference between that and what t- people typically think of the difference between short and long-term is that if I want to get it into my long-term, all I have to do is think about what I just memorized with my systems um, a little more. That's it. Um, so essentially what I'm saying is, you can use the techniques to get information in your brain quickly, and then from there on, you never have to see or touch the information again. You have it in your brain. All you have to do is review it in there um, you know, a certain amount of times to get it to your long term. So ultimately, you decide how long you want to keep it in there. You know. So you read a book this week, and in, in fact, I know it's someone, it's a friend of yours, it's Joshua Froer wrote the book for yeah moonwalking with einstein that's right and in that book he talked about the fact that most people when they're reading a, a page by the time they get to the bottom of the page they've forgotten what the first paragraph said 
Yep. And so his beautiful quote that I, I use often, he said, we are forgetting how to remember. Yep. When you are now reading or learning for your own knowledge, is there a process you use to get the most out of your the blog you're reading, the podcast listening to, the video you're watching, or the book you're reading? How do you commit what you're learning into long-term memory? Yeah, um, well, it starts with with making it the right kind of environment to to read or to focus on something, and and that, especially nowadays, is all about kind of decluttering and getting rid of uh, distractions, right? So when I'm reading especially if it's something I want to retain, you know, my phone is off or my phone is in the other room. Um, I'm not in a place where somebody can come and bug me. I'm there with this article or book and it's just me and that thing and nothing else. Um, and then when I'm, I'm actually reading it, um, one of the techniques, you know, is to actually try to see everything you're reading as like a movie unfolding before your eyes. So it's that visualization again. Um, now, this won't guarantee that you remember everything, but being focused on something and trying to picture what you're reading at the same time um, will definitely make a lot more uh, stick, and your reading comprehension will drastically improve. What's What's curious about you, Nelson, is you talked a lot about the visual aspect, and we covered it off with the pizza with the kinesthetic part and the auditory part and so on. And then I've heard you say that when you are reading a book – you actually sound like you make it into an occasion and there's a ritual, a routine behind it. And then you said you like to feel the book when you read and you like the feeling of it in yeah. your hand. You also talked about the smell. You said you associate the, the, the great smell of a book when you open it. So that's an olfactory sense, which is the smell. Do you yep. do you use any of those techniques when you are competing? Because I get the visual part, but when you are doing the cards to remember the numbers, is the kinesthetic part of having to feel the cards, is that part of your process in competition? Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. I mean, because as I'm actually holding the cards and whizzing through them, um, you know, there's something about the speed at which I move and, and that particular scenario at that moment in time that stands out from other times that I've, you know, gone through a deck where, where I was sitting, how I was feeling, you know, what kind of cards I was touching, all those things like help add this kind of meta memory of the actual moment when I was memorizing. So it just gives another angle at which to pull from when I need to uh, remember something faster. Um, you know, I'm encoding everything like with my system, but if I ever have like a little bit of a question in my mind about one, I can always think like, you know what? I, you know, I, I can remember like floating above my body in a way um, doing the actual memorization and that helps remember things as well. You are a Lord of the Rings fan and you set yourself up to read The Hobbit <laughs> and that was exciting for you. And you, you said, can you remember where you were, what you were doing the moments of reading that book. Can you recall that? Because it sounds like you made that into almost an event where you immersed yourself in that book because it was special, which I think is really interesting is we read, we do stuff, but you seem to really use the senses in the stuff you do. When I, th when I mentioned the book, can you see that whole moment of you reading chapters, the smell of the book? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I just went there and it was really pleasant. Um, you know, I'm, 
one of my favorite chapters is one of the, the opening chapter. And I saved that book for a moment when I wanted to really cherish it. So, you know, I was starting to read it around Thanksgiving holiday. Um, I can't quite remember the year. I could probably figure it out. I think probably 2012 or 11. Um, and then I know exactly, I can picture myself. I was in a department store, uh, with my girlfriend at the time and she was shopping and I was just comfortable in my couch. There was Christmas music playing. Um, and it was just, I was there and I can really feel that moment of when I loved reading that passage of the book. And then there's other chapters I remember reading in different spots because I, I didn't read it all in that one session. But um, what's great is that that whole experience of reading the book is now ingrained in my mind, not only the contents of the book, but the experience of remembering the book, which then feeds itself into actually remembering the book better. You know. And you seem to, to do the same thing with your journaling, Nelson. You, I've heard you talk about the fact you'll get a particular journal paper type pens you you create almost these rituals yep. around what you do is that intentional to embed whatever it is that you're wanting to think about ponder remember learn yeah you know I, I maybe some of it i don't do intentionally but uh it's for that reason and you know maybe not, it's not for everybody but i will say that it does make some of the more uh mundane parts of my life a lot more memorable because I, you know, I, I elevate them and make them this special occasion and I pontificate and, and, and think about them in a different, in, in different ways, whether I'm writing it down or, you know, talking about it with a lot of people and really going into them. And that, that makes, I, I like that. Obviously memory is an important thing in my life and I like to kind of cherish some of those moments and give them love so that they are something I want to come back to often, you know? I, I'm respectful of your time today and and you're such an interesting guy to, to break down all the bits but it would be remiss of me not to talk about your climbing success sure you got within 50 meters of summiting mount everest which means for us to visualize we are on the start line with usain bolt and a halfway down the 100 meters, halfway down. That's where you can <laughs> yeah. see the summit. That's where the, that's where the top is. You got 50 meters away, so a half of half of that race, and you went. Got to go back. Well, yeah. Take me to that moment of the default voice where you can <laughs> seal it. That's a great visual. I've never thought of it like that. But that's great. Uh, it, it must. I don't know. For all of us, it would be heartbreaking. You've done it a number of times. When you go back to there, what's the dialogue in your mind? What are you feeling? What are you seeing? Just that moment of, uh Yeah, you know, uh, so that moment, so I've attempted Everest three times, uh, but that was my closest, uh, and that was my first attempt. 50 meters from the top, I turned around. And um, I know my feeling, the feelings. I, I, I've studied them and thought about them quite often, written about them, journaled, all that stuff, right? Um, but, you know, on the way up to the summit, there was an issue with my oxygen regulator um, that malfunctioned. So that was a bit of an issue. We crossed this dead body that was like hours old. Um, so I remember at that point, those two things had happened to me, um, experiences had happened to me. And, you know, all I could think about was, what am I doing here? Um, is this what it's all about, you know, like just questioning myself and, um, also struggling, um, physically because of the situation with my mask. 
So when I got to the point where I sat down and, you know, looked up at the 50 meters remaining, you know, and, and realized like, okay, I have just a little bit to go. It's maybe another hour, but then I have to come all the way back down, which is another maybe eight hours. Um, you know, you, you start to try to calculate what's realistic, what's worth it, what's the risk versus reward. And, um, to me, it just didn't make sense. And, you know, I didn't want to push too far. I mean, obviously I pushed quite a bit. Um, but I remember being very, you know, sure of, of, of what I could and couldn't do and felt like the right thing. You know, who knows, maybe I could have pushed, but I think it would have been very, very close to a, um, very dangerous situation. So, um, yeah, I mean, obviously when I came back, there was tons of regrets and then you're thinking, you know, well, I could, you know, if I just pulled it together a little more, but I always remember that in the moment I, I, I made the decision and I, I was very adamant about what I had decided, you know, when it finally came to decide. It's such a fascinating story of Matt Everest to memory champion. And I, the whole memory journey for you started in 2009 when your grandmother passed and that started your journey. And you then, your story is you wanted to look after your own brain. You wanted to do something for others. And so your journey started. And then you, the moment you, you won your first major memory competition, it wasn't enough just to look after your own memory, but then you wanted to compete. That moment where you won your first trophy medallion title in, in your quiet moment. So all the hurrahs done in your quiet moment when you sat alone, knowing that in 2009, it started with your grandmother in that quiet moment, sitting by yourself when you'd done it, what did you say? What did you say to your grandmother? What, what were your thoughts and images in your mind to do with your grandmother? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I remember that pretty clearly that I was just, you know, I don't know. It's hard to describe the feeling exactly, but I, I, I can feel it. Um, I was very kind of thankful for, um, not for her passing away. That's not the right word, but, um, for what her passing had taught me and where it had led me, you know, it's, it's, I remember the time when she passed away, I thought it was the most hopeless moment, um, for me. And, you know, you don't understand why someone has to go like that. And, and then, you know, years later, you know, that for me resulted in this. And, and that was a very special feeling for me that only I could really understand and appreciate. Right. But, uh, deep within me, there was an immense satisfaction that I was able to turn something that <clears throat> hurt me. I know this is very selfish sounding, but it hurt me at, at the time that she passed away. Um, but I was able to direct that into something that made me feel, um, incredibly satisfied in my life, you know? And that was a quiet moment where you sat alone. And I've been trying to, since we made contact a little while ago, I've been trying to work out where's the, where's the commonality between climbing Everest and going on to win multiple titles in memory. And one of the things that came to mind for me was silence, is that I suspect that climbing is a very silent pursuit 
memory, you've got a lot of time in silence to sit practicing, mm-hmm. practicing, practicing, practicing. And then during competition, you put headphones on, you close your eyes. It's all about silence and being in the moment. Is silence, is that something you're really comfortable with? Is that, is that an important part of the makeup of, of Nelson? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Um, and I think that's, I think you're right on the nose. Um, you know, I, I love my wife and my kid and being with people, but I really like being with myself and, and being in my head and figuring stuff out and exploring the, you know, the dark recesses of my mind that, you know, sometimes are often looked into and some that I, I discover and, and or rediscover and explore a little more, you know, it's all that stuff. I love that, um, introspective kind of, um, thought and both of them have that in spades, like climbing, especially high altitude mountaineering. You're just you by yourself, you know, walking in the snow and ice for hours upon hours. And, um, you know, you're just talking to yourself in your head and, and same with memory. It's you're exploring and using these systems that, uh, are built off of memories and, you know, just thoughts that you've had over the years. So that's what I think something obviously that I really like, and that's why I'm into both things. I find you fascinating. I could talk to you for literally hours, mate, with the stuff you do and how you do it. I, I think this is an area that we should all focus on, make a priority. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. Well, well hang on, Gary, before, <laughs> yep. before you wrap up, if we're talking about memory, I think we have to put it to the test. Again, I, I think those 30 numbers that we mentioned at the beginning of the show, oh. I think to actually test Nelson out here, I think I would like to hear every second number before we leave the, this oh, interview. Good. Okay. Yeah, that's good. And that's great. You guys distracted me. This, this whole interview was a distraction. One big setup. It was one big setup. Yeah. You're right. You got yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, this is, shouldn't be a problem. Let me just resituate myself in my. All right. House. So every sec, every second number. Okay. Okay. Um, so yeah, yeah. Okay. So starting with the first second number is a four. Um, yep. Then uh, nine, uh, three, nine, four. One six three two eight six four eight <laughs> two and seven. Ladies and gentlemen, give that it up. That is insane. Ladies and gentlemen, yeah. That is. I don't normally clap on this podcast, but wow, that's insane, <laughs> that mate. Well something. done. Yeah. Pizza and beer. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's right. See what pizza and beer can do for you. What'd you say? I, I've now got an excuse. See what pizza and beer can do for you. Uh, yeah, you know? exactly, exactly. I was going to say that that, that that seems a lot harder, but it's really not because each two digit, I know the picture. Uh, I'm just going to say the second digit of each one, you know? So, um, yeah, but yeah it, it, it looks and sounds pretty impressive, but it's, it's just a slight alter alteration of what I say with the image. That's incredible. But what's interesting with that is I could go Gerard Depardieu, Jack Black, Kobe Bryant. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's, that's the start. Number. <laughs> yeah. So I, um, I honestly, I, I love, love this stuff. Mate, where people who want to follow through on you and you have loads of stuff online being four-time champ and everything else, where where is your hub for Nelson? Yeah. Uh, I'm putting a lot of effort these days in my YouTube channel. So please go to YouTube, just search my name and subscribe and watch some of my videos. There's tons of stuff about little memory tricks, fun party tricks, just ideas that I talk about related to memory and 
Um, I think people, your listeners will enjoy that. Um, I also have a book out. It's called Remember It. Um, you can find it on Amazon or I'm sure there's a bunch of other booksellers in Australia that sell it. Um, and yeah. Well, this has been brilliant. I hope that when you do come to Australia, you will remember to look us up. We'd love to um, have, a, have a beer with you at Bondi Beach and uh, record some more stuff, mate. But thank you, Nelson. It's just been awesome, mate. Yeah. It's been memorable. I have to say, uh, this has been very memorable for me too, because I don't think I've ever been on a, I've done a lot of interviews, a lot of podcasts, but I don't think anyone's done as much research as you guys. Uh, the questions you asked me were awesome and right on point, And you really dug back into my, all like articles and videos you must have watched and, and looked into that. I'm very impressed. So thank you. Hell of a thing, killing a man. Take away all he's got, and all he's ever gonna have. Rocktober on the Mojo Radio Show. I can't remember much about that interview. I figured you'd drop in something like that. <laughs> Do you know? You know no, what I, I did? Remember? Yeah. This is what I remember, though. I don't know what year it was, and this is going back quite a ways. Mm. I think I was still in shopping centres. It might be talking 25, 30 years ago, a John Travolta movie called Phenomenum, which I think, if memory serves me correctly, I think it was mid-90s. And there was a scene in that movie where he talked about, and this movie's about him having a brain disease, and rather than people treat him like a freak, he said, what if, what if I'm the possibilities? Is that all I'm here for? What else? You're not a scholar. Well, I'll tell you what I am, okay? I'll tell you what I think I am. I think I'm what everybody can be. Everyone with a malignant tentacle. Oh, no, 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 no. It's, 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 that, that, that just helped me get here, okay? I mean, anybody can get here. It's, I'm, I'm the possibility, all right? I mean, I think you've got this desperate grasp on the technology and this grasp on science, and uh, you don't have a, a hand left to, to grasp what's important. George, if I had to no, choose between George. a tumor that got me here and some flash of light from an alien craft, I'd choose the tumor, I would, because it's here, within us. What I'm talking about is the human spirit. That's the challenge. That's the voyage. That's the expedition. That's what I hear when I hear Nelson talk about not the fact, because I'll think a lot of us will go, yeah, it's all fine for him. He's just a freak. Yeah, it's all fine for him. But to me, what I hear is that's the possibilities if you put the work in and you change your frame of reference to say, I'm going to do this. I can do this. It's important to me for not just my physical health, but my mental health. And I don't know, that John Travolta scene of what if on the possibilities really, really resonates with that interview with Nelson. This is the Mojo Radio Show. What do you reckon? Time for a bit of an acoustic session? What do you got? Well, I've got one this week that I recorded uh, back at Triple M when I was at Triple M in Sydney. It's John Mellencamp. Um, and trying to keep in line with keeping some stories this week, the, the, there's no story behind the, the actual recording of this, but for me there's a story behind the artist, John Mellencamp, because the guy as we've spoken about on the show a thousand times, has a big hand in Farm Aid over in the States in helping their farmers. Um, he, most, a lot of his music revolves around living on the land. In fact, his biggest album, Scarecrow, was all about living on the land. The thing that I like is he's not living in a, in a 
$60 million mansion in LA, he still lives in small town America and he's still true to the cause. So I reckon that was my story for this week and what better song than Small Town? Does he have cowbells? <laughs> well, I was born in a small town And I live in a small town Probably die in a small town Of a small community all my friends, it's a small town My parents live in the same small town My job is a small town Provides little opportunity Educated in a small town Taught to fear Jesus in a small town Used to daydream in that small town Another boring romantic, that's me But I've seen it all in a small town And myself ball in a small town Buried an L.A. doll and brought it to this small town That small town, just like me enough to say look who's in the big town but my bed is in a small town oh that's good enough for me well I was born in a small town and I can breathe in a small town gonna die in a small town oh and that's probably where the
The Mojo Radio Show. Just before we wrap up, Rocktober traditionally always had swag. We have swag for you. We have a poster and it can be blown up to a street poster size. We've had it done in such a way that it can be blown up to 1.7 metres by metre or something and a couple of our Patreon supporters I know have done that and blown it up. In fact, somebody pinned a photo recently on their Instagram. It was uh, Jace, I think, pinned it up on his wall of his office. He had the big poster up, which looked awesome. I still like the wallpaper idea. Well, that's, that's next, isn't it? <laughs> we, we've taken our favourite bits of gold from the last year or so and we've drawn this giant poster with cool graphics you can download it for free from themojoradioshow.com. You will see a Rocktober tab there and it measures, it's huge. And if you'd like a copy, you can just download it for free. And this is all thanks to a mate of ours, Guy Downs from Office Guy Cartoons, who took our gold and then wrote little characters and little cartoon drawings around it to make it into a poster. Guy is a former guest of the show. What he does in life is he basically does cartoons and illustrations for the corporate world. So people who are doing presentations or he will work at a conference and record whatever a guest speaker is doing in pictures that he can then send out to all the guests of that gig as a reminder of what was covered. It's a really cool idea. It's at theofficeguycartoons.com. So thank you to Guy for doing it. It is rock and roll. It is Rocktober. It's got the Rocktober logo on it. It's pretty good, actually. I like the one we've got in our studio. And it's one of those things you keep looking at and seeing something different every day, every time you look at it. Mm. Yeah, you are. And the other thing that I've noticed is that you and I keep sticking our post-it notes now. Instead of putting them on the post-it note wall, we're sticking them around the poster. For October 2020. That's right. Ready to go. Just take a no, photo like, and away we go. <laughs> yeah, nothing like getting in ahead. Be un- <laughs> in fact, it'd be very un-Mojo Radio Show for us to be prepared for anything, in fact. That's right. It would really, wouldn't it? Anyway, there you go. Ahead of the game for once. The Mojo Radio Show. Simmer down, you noisy, screaming sling. We also shouldn't forget our other bit of swag, which is our Mojo Show Rocktober Spotify playlist. Features a whole bunch of songs that our guests have talked about on the show. Uh, AP had a few, Lola's added a few, Gaz and myself, Lofty. We all stuck a few songs in there. So it's the quintessential Mojo Show Rocktober playlist. You'll find it on Spotify. I have pinned the link to the top of our Facebook page and you'll also find a link on the website. So check it out. It's well worth a listen. So to take us out, we've covered a lot of music. We've covered a bit of Mellencamp. We've covered some Stones. We've covered Blue Oyster Cult. We have covered some potentially Zeppelin, controversial. We've covered a bit of CCR and we've covered a bit of War with Lowrider. I am pretty comfortable with any of those. We've also covered Clint Eastwood. So I don't know. What are we going to go out with? Here's my thoughts. It's Rocktober. So arguably the greatest rock and roll band in the world would be the Rolling Stones. Uh, Cowbell, obviously a given this week, so honky-tonk women. We haven't done any live music yet, so how about the Rolling Stones with some live Cowbell, honky-tonk women? All right.
Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the basement of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at The Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. To help us get better and give more people the opportunity to touch up their mojo, you can now find us on Patreon. Follow the links on the front page of our website and for a coffee or two a month, you'll get regular bonus material and a copy of Explosive Hits 19, the best of the Mojo Radio Show. In the meantime, to polish your next audio production, check out voodoosound.com.au. For more about Gary, see garybirtwhistle.com. And to book me, go to andrewpeters.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.